You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since 1977. All right, everybody, welcome to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, episode number 551. We just keep plugging along like it's going out of style. <laughs> I don't know if that's a, a compliment or an insult uh, to say it that way, but uh, that's how I'm going to say it, damn it. And that's what I'm going to go with. Uh, I can't uh, oh, plug it. Okay. Uh, there we go. All right, so I just found out Ty couldn't hear any of the intro, so there we go. <laughs> that was, uh, we, yet again. Well, we made it through the intro, though. We made it through the, the music, okay. and we're That's into okay. the show. That's and okay. Yeah, you know, usually these things happen before we start recording, which is kind of nice. But uh, in, this, in this case, we're recording, and damn it, I'm not going back and starting again. Because, um, again, this is episode 551. As Tom Petty would say, <laughs> damn the torpedoes. That's right. <laughs> And uh, I would also say he also said you got lucky, babe. So he did get lucky, babe. <laughs> when I found you. <laughs> um. So yeah, this week we got uh, the year of nineteen seventy nine, and uh, the glorious year was. And uh, we got uh, a couple of fun ones to talk about. We're going to talk about a movie from uh, Bill Big Bill Smith, or a movie with Big Bill Smith, not from Big Bill Smith. Uh, he passed away recently, but a very famous character actor. Uh, we kind of talked about him a little bit last week in a voicemail, um, but uh, we're going to be doing Fast Company, uh, directed by David Cronenberg. It's a bit of a, a standout film in Cronenberg's uh, filmography. Um, uh, we'll kind of talk about why here in a little bit, and we're also going to be doing A Force of One, uh, directed by Paul Aaron uh, from 1979, starring one Chuck Norris. Yeah. I almost AKA Charles Norris. I went shopping for my son for shoes yesterday for school because it's getting ready to start. I almost just said starring Chuck Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're not far off. Totally different movie that would be, I think. And now I sound like there Yoda. Were, there were not as many vans in yeah. this uh, <laughs> yeah. movie. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, so that's what we're doing this week. 
Um, Todd's voice is a little scratchy today. Um, a little bit, a uh, little hoarse. Yeah, we're gonna hang in there. Bit. We're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna hang in there. And Wilbur, give it a shot. Oh man, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Wilbur, <yeah>. Wilbur. <laughs> oh. was, you know, there was um, oh my God, way, way, way back when I believe it was, I believe it was Saturday Night Live did a uh, an In Search of skit. With uh, I think it was Joe Piscopo playing Leonard Nimoy when they did <laughs> yeah. Francis the Talking Mule, uh, and it scared the living shit out of me uh, as a, as a kid. So if I can scare somebody living, uh, you know, today at that age, which I doubt, but <laughs> I hope that I could do that with my uh, my horrible raspy voice right now. It might improve for a force of one. Uh, the uh, the review suspiciously who knows yeah who knows suspiciously you who may I'm going to take a guess and say you might be correct but uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh oh fucking anyway, horrible let's uh let's uh, we got a voicemail we got a voicemail we got uh, oh good deal good deal good old Walt the egg now everybody should know these voicemails we don't play them ahead of time so we don't know what anybody's going to no. say no. Uh, there has been in the beginning. I did check a little bit because uh, it was a new application, and I just kind of wanted to check out, make sure everything was working right. But since then, I've gone away from checking, and uh, so these things are live, and uh, that can either be a good or a bad thing because uh, it depends on the questions. Sometimes we get asked, so True. we yes. could get uh, thrown right into the wolves. We'll see what happens. Uh, uh, sometimes I get a little nervous playing these because I'm afraid somebody's <laughs> going to ask ask uh, you know some movie buff question that uh, I take pride in the fact that I know the answers to, and uh, we'll find out very quickly that I don't know as much as I thought I knew. I know jack shit, so I, I cling to that already. <laughs> so we'll see what happens here. Let's see what we'll see what Walt's got to say. Actually, so, now that I think about it, I wonder if you'll be able to hear it. That'll be oh yeah, uh, that's a good point. That'll be interesting. We're gonna see real quick and. Uh, we're going to find out, and we'll go with that. Gentlemen, it's Walt the Egg. Um, this one's going to be a bit of a thinker. Oh, no. Um, see? One of the things oh, that I already. see as I, uh, I go set myself these, up uh, for trouble. YouTube movie review channels, uh, you know, y- your average, let's say, 20-year-old, your young person, you know. I'm not um, that. Discovering blockbuster movies for the first time. Yeah. So they have to discover something like Back to the Future. Probably not going to dig any deeper, you know, not going to watch something like Streets of Fire. I'm generalizing here. Yeah. My question, right. 40 years from now, what are going to be the gold mines that people dig through in the same way that you do on this show? Um, searching for those treasures. Uh, look forward to uh, Fast Company. Uh, this was one of the original gray market titles that I always saw advertised, never watched. Now I have a reason <laughs> to. Thanks, guys. Nice, nice. All right. Yeah, Fast Company uh, didn't get a really broad release for a long time, and then finally I think came out on DVD. Um, and again, it, it's a standout in Cronenberg's uh, filmography, and we'll talk about that uh, here in a little well, certainly bit. Certainly an oddity, yeah. Yeah, which is weird coming from uh, David Cronenberg, whose filmography is full of oddities, uh, in a way. Um, all right, so this is... Not an easy question. 
It's not. Um, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie and say that I have my finger on the uh, the pulse of uh, of uh, the more underground film. You know, speaking of, I, I think I think that possibly 40 years from now, um, people might be trying to unpack um, the August underground stuff. Um, would <laughs> wow. be my first thought. Wow. Um, I don't know that anyone is going to give much uh, credence or credit to stuff like uh, the stuff that comes from the asylum. Mm. Um, but I do think that I, well, I, I, I certainly hope that uh, if nothing else, um, people will begin to look at, uh, or, or, or folks 40 years from now, will will start to unpack stuff from the 90s, um, like the, uh, the, the lower, uh, or I shouldn't say lower tier, but lesser known, uh, things like um, maybe Killing Zoe, or some of the uh, the the DTV uh, sort of things, maybe um, uh, stuff that may 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 or may not have starred William Cat um, <laughs> uh, as a, as like a, a slick attorney uh, being lulled into like a dancer dancer die uh, sort of uh, level stuff. Uh, I would hope, even though we we kind of do that now. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of thinking because I think that at, at this point in time, I think that uh, there's a very uh, what, well, uh, the, the, the adjective that I want to use maybe um, fastidious denial um, that uh, that we have these primal urges uh, in what we want to uh, watch. Mm. Um, mm. And I think that uh, 40 years from now, I'm, I'm hoping to God. Um, which hopefully I'm, I'm not going to get taken off of uh, the internet for saying that, um, even though it's you know, re- regardless of what I believe, um, that uh, 40 years from now, uh, people might just investigate these things a little bit more um, because I think that a lot of even the dirt cheap stuff that comes out now is so incredibly vacuous and so so incredibly uh, rote uh, and um, one note that I, I would I would I would like to think that they would find a little bit of value in the stuff that came before it mm. um, because I I find very little value in the stuff that's coming out now um, and uh, I, I I mean, I, I would really have to. I, it's one of these things where I could almost sit down and I almost want to write like a, a, a two-hour treatise on, uh, but I, I really don't want to bore people and or annoy people more than uh, more than I already do. So uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, that that's the kind of thing that I think. It, but that's what I'm, I'm hoping. Well, it's it's kind of in the same way that um, we tend to see. And this has been the trend for a while uh, in American cultures where we want to look back 20 years uh, and just kind of uh, occupy that time for a little while. That's why Happy Days was popular in the 70s and the seven, that 70s show was so popular in the 90s and so on and so forth. Um, and who knows? I mean, I don't, I don't think that the, that 
2000s show uh, would be all that interesting. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, then again, I mean, whose fault is that? It ain't mine. Uh, so that, that, that's kind of where I, I line up on that. Yeah. I, I hope that uh, that kind of answers the question. Yeah. I don't know if there's a good. I don't know if there is a good solid answer. I think it's all speculation, really. I really don't think there is, honestly. The truth Not is, at this point, anyway. yeah. I, I, Forty years from now, I don't know what people will think of movies. Even um, I, I'm I, there's a part of me, the old man part of me. Of course, forty years from now, if I'm still around, then I've done quite well for myself. Um, but you know, I would hope that people still love movies and still love films and. And uh, not that they're different, but, uh, you know, I don't really like to use the two different words, but. Well, I think there's always going to be cinephiles. Uh, I think that there always the will be cinephiles yes. is going to change. I think that the 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 uh, the values that cinephiles um, look at, I think, are going to change unless unless folks like us can kind of pound it into uh, the younger folks. Head. And I know that sounds kind of. um kind of nasty or maybe authoritarian um i don't mean it that way Hmm. but i think at the same time that you know uh, i mean if you don't know if you don't know what to do with a red light uh then you know you're just gonna plow through all of them right i mean yeah well that's the thing i mean i hope that uh you know i worry there's a there's a pessimistic side of me that worries because it seems like a lot of people stop caring about movies even the cinephiles when you get about mid 60s and back that 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 irritates me yeah and you know next week we'll be talking about a film from the 40s true and you know i i think that there's a lot of good uh that happened in the early days of cinema that people don't talk about right and you know i've made the joke before um that you know we're almost like an anthropological podcast at this point um <laughs> talking about things from you know 80 that we are cavemen yeah 80 and not yes that that too 80 and 90 years ago uh when most people don't really want to talk about anything past uh the 80s uh, in a yeah. lot of ways and then in the 80s was 40 years ago i mean that was a yep. i mean we 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 can't uh shun that we can't shun that discussion because at this point you know, the eighties was forty years ago. So mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that there's you you could go by the decade part of the question. You could say, you know, every every twenty years, like you said, there's some type of retrospective, like, you know, the the two thousands now and then maybe another twenty years everybody'll be talking about the teens and the twenties. Right. But I don't know, cultures change it changes so fast now and um I don't know how much faster it's going to change. And I just don't know if, I guess my concern is, I don't know as a culture if we're interested, and, I, and I'm not trying to speak for everybody here. I just don't know if we're interested in looking at things retrospectively as much as our generation has been. Well, I think there's that. And there's also that, I mean, I think that. Partially, it does come down to the people who are 20 years or younger. Um, you know, at, at some point, you know, you guys have to turn around then and, and not, not necessarily be confrontational, but say to, uh, say to the, the people who are bitching and moaning about, you know, why is this shitty? Why is this way? Well, you know, 
ask ask them. You know, have you seen? I mean, as as silly as it sounds, um, you know, have you seen Casablanca? Have you seen Citizen Kane? Have you seen The Great Train Robbery? Have you seen Metropolis? Have you seen, you know, all of these things? Because you know, a lot of these folks uh, may have only tangentially touched on these things in uh, in maybe a text, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. but. I mean, there, there's a vast difference between um, reading about things and, and understanding the value or understanding um, how things it's, it's – it's a different thing to read the instructions of a Lego kit than it is to build a Lego, Yeah, uh, if that makes sense. It does. And I think that you have to have uh, a certain experience with both. Uh, way back when, mm, mm. um, and, you know, because I'm sure that there are people who will will scoff at at the the, the sheer notion of um, watching a a movie like uh, Birth of a Nation and and learning from it. But there's a lot to learn from it. That the the uh, the cinephiles of 40 years from now will will touch on these things and say like, Hey, what made this guy? make this choice cinematically and we'll go back and uh, investigate stuff going all the way back to stuff like, you know, uh, uh, William Girdler or, uh, um, you know, Fritz Lang or, you know, what have you, uh, Orson Welles, because I, I, I almost kind of, I, I almost kind of find it funny that, you know, I, I, I would guarantee you, you could walk up to, um, uh, maybe 50% of, um, film uh students today and ask them you know what's your favorite orson wells movie and they would say to you who's orson wells and i think that that's absolutely devastatingly horrible to mm. think about mm. uh or john ford for that matter yeah. um uh and, and that that's kind of where i come to and I, I don't know if i've kind of answered the 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 uh the, the question or kind of made it more muddy well, I mean, I just think that uh, you know, forty years from now, you're talking about a whole other generation, and I think well, that, sure. But I mean, I, name, I think that we thing, might one, name one thing now that you think that people are actually going to want to investigate in that sort of uh, in, at, at, at that sort of level, and why? Yeah, I, I, I don't think that. Well, I think that uh, honestly, they'll still look at the same things. I think that they'll still look at the same things, and I think they'll still weed out the other things that uh, that are. Surprised if they did. Uh, I would be too. But uh, at the same time, I think that they might. Uh, I have hope in some ways, and you know, the, because some things are timeless. Uh, you know, kids still enjoy. Uh, at least my son does, and uh, I know us other people's kids do. You know, it's looking at Jackie Chan movies and and things like this, or even Bruce Lee films, or you know, slasher films or these things that you know we kind of mocked at the time. We certainly mocked at the time and thought that. Uh, yeah thought that cinema was going downhill um uh, a lot of folks did uh, a lot of critics did and everything else but those things have completely stood the test of time even the lesser uh slasher films have managed to somehow come out of uh the wash uh, somehow and still be looked upon reflectively and so i i find that i find that kind of amazing when i think about that because I mean, there's so many of those films could have just been wads of trash that we just would have thrown away. Well, but that's my point, though. Is you know how many how many how many people did you know at 15 that wanted to look at an Ingmar Bergman film as opposed to uh, Friday the 13th 3D? Uh, 
Well, I mean, I, is I, my point. Is my point, and and what I'm saying is, you know, if we if we go from from that perspective, then you know, uh, how many people today are going to look at you know things that are are so ubiquitously uh, the same uh, as as everybody's uh, favorite whipping boy, the Marvel movies, and then be like, oh well, oh my God, that makes me want to watch D.W. Griffin. Or that makes me want to watch John Ford, or that maybe, and you know, and 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 then one thing, you know, one thing leads to another. Step off this to that, and you know, all that sort of thing. And that's where I'm going with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I hope. My hope is. I hope too. I hope too. I have no faith, <laughs> but I hope. Yeah. My hope is is that uh, folks will do that. That they will, and maybe Marvel I, movies I are the so way too. it is. Maybe maybe it will be Marvel movies. Maybe it will be that. I think for certain people, it absolutely will be. It could be. It definitely would make sense. I mean, because you know, you're talking about. I'm just uh, hoping that they they don't just repeat. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, Not I think in the same way certainly, but I think it's interesting to think about what folks would look at uh, 40 years from now. I mean, I I definitely I watch it because I'm actually around you know around my son watching him watch movies because uh, he's getting into them more and more, and uh, you know watching him, and again not dictating anything he watches i don't show him anything if he asks to see something and that's been my game plan all along i've never said you know you need to and i've never wanted to create a film fan like me i've wanted him to create his own self and um you know some folks i know do it the other way and that's fine um but to me it's it's always been about him finding his his path and I, and I, that's very much my way of thinking anyway, is my way of thinking has always been, you know, find your own path because, you know, I can show you a million things, but at that point I'm influence, influencing you and I'm not interested in influencing you at all. Um, if, if your favorite movie happens to be a, a Richard Linklater film, then that's great. That's your favorite movie. Um, I, I might not agree, but at the same time, that's that's what we need. And so... I think that, you know, watching the younger generation, at least the the younger generation that have been around lately, including my own son, it's very heartwarming to know that folks are still willing to kind of go back and look at older films because I think my biggest concern for the longest time was is nobody wants to look at anything from the past. Well, yeah. I have a hard time getting people my age to look at stuff that's uh, from the 50s. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I, know. <laughs> I know. I mean, you know. Yeah, but I think I mean thank God the TCM still shows stuff that's uh, you know prior to yeah uh, 1990 yeah uh, as opposed to AMC American Movies Classic uh, which <laughs> doesn't even show I movies. I haven't seen a movie <laughs> classic from that fucking uh, station, yeah. and I, I couldn't tell you how fucking long. Once they start making that original series money, it's hard to go back. Yeah. All right, that's all that. That's <laughs> way too much conversation on that subject. I, I certainly hope that we've uh, Walt stop we've asking pissed enough people off on yeah. this one, and uh, hopefully, given Walter something to think about for the week. All right, um, let's see here. Let's get into what we've been watching a little bit. What you got? Anything? I, uh, nothing. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I got a couple of things. Uh, I did my creamy for the week. It was again the Ringer from 1965, directed by Alfred Vorer, aka Neues vom Hexa. Um, and this was uh, one of the few sequels that uh, you really see, aside from the uh, the Sanders uh, sequel that we got from Harry Allen Towers. Uh, I think last week. 
Uh, and this one, I really, really enjoyed this one a lot. Uh, it has uh, Eddie Arendt um, with a magnificently uh, sculpted beard. It has uh, Klaus Kinski, Klaus Kinski with a um, a magnificently ratty beard. Uh, and there are so many masks uh, that get pulled off of characters in this one that you almost uh, want to think that it may be a, a Mission Impossible movie. Uh, because, dude, the fucking masks are flying fast and furious in this one. Uh, so uh, the movie also it does a, a very good job uh, melding the uh, the detective aspects uh, with the more farcical aspects of it. Um, the characters uh, they even uh, uh, they reference the book uh, that they're adapting uh, just so that they know where they are. Uh, in the plot, and I really, I, it's, it's one of those things I just, it tickles me. Uh, tickles me pink, as the uh, the kids like to say. Um, and uh, there's, um, there's, oh man, oh yeah, there was a, uh, uh, there was a sequence in this one uh, that has a, a kid who has ostensibly one arm, even though, you know, it's tied behind his back. Uh, and he's in a, uh, uh, a room with several tigers, uh, that uh, it's it's one of those things where you're watching it and you see a couple of moments there where it, you you absolutely know that this thing could have gone way south, way fast. Um, and it, it doesn't, thankfully, or at least not as far as we know. Um, but uh, overall, I, I, I really like this one. Um, and I would, uh, I would put it up there. Uh, a lot of fun, a lot of fun with that. Uh, moved on from that to a first time watch of Simon, uh, written and directed by Marshall Brickman, who's probably better known, uh, for his work with, um, Woody Allen, most especially, uh, on his, uh, his work on the, uh, the screenplay for Annie Hall, uh, for which they, you know, obviously gained, uh, an Oscar. Um, but this is one of those, uh, really ultra quirky comedies with an ultra quirky cast, uh, that they just don't make anymore. I mean, you have um, this thing. You have uh, Austin Pendleton, uh, Madeline Kahn, Alan Arkin, uh, just to name three. Uh, and yet, there's there's this really odd, awkward sort of discomfort uh, or discomforting sense that, that that I got around the the entire thing. And I, I'm not 100 percent sure that that's because the uh, because of the premise of it. Uh, which I won't really get into. I'll let people uh, discover that for themselves if they if they care to, or from uh, you know watching Max Wright, uh, knowing how it is that he ended up. And for those who don't know who Max Wright is, he was the uh, the dad uh, on Alf. Uh, just to give a a, a subtle hint yeah. uh, as to uh, as to where his uh, his whole uh, life is heading. Um, but the uh, the the story itself of the movie is uh uh i thought oddly believable despite uh, its um absurdity uh and i also think that this is you know pretty close to being like a a conspiracy buffs kind of wet dream um i think that uh, you know what you get out of the film is directly proportional to your tolerance for these sort of um uh new york intellectual absurdism um, of the of the time, uh, certainly of the seventies, uh, and for me, you know, I think a lot of that works. Um, but there are obviously still going to be glaring flaws in this thing, uh, and I kind of take those things in stride. 
Uh, and this kind of film has enough charm to make that go. Um, I think the Brickman's direction itself is okay. Uh, but I also kind of tend to lean towards him being much better as a writer, in my opinion. Um, I think that uh, end of the day, you could kind of look at the, this movie as being Alan Arkin's being there, or maybe his um, uh, the ruling class, if you like, uh, because it, it's kind of in that vein, but you know, slightly less self-serious. Uh, so it's, it, I mean, it's enjoyable, but kind of throwaway, uh, in that regard. Um, I went from there to the park is mine, uh, from Tommy Lee Jones, uh, where he's basically play, playing, uh, Rambo in uh, central park. Uh, I'll say this about that. I, you know, I, I may not have felt anything about the way that, uh, Jones is portrayed in the film, but man, his wife is an absolute whiny ass shrew um, every time that she shows up. In fact, uh, Jones seems to want to do what he does. Uh, and I think that this is really kind of confirmed uh, by the glee uh, that he seems to take in setting off explosives by the, uh, the police station early on in the film. Um, so, I, I mean, you kind of you kind of are, are, are balanced, well, not imbalanced, balanced, but imbalanced, uh, between, you know, this, this being like, he's pushed this way, or is it that he's just snapped because of his domestic issues? Uh, either way, I think it's kind of interesting in that he's, he's sort of, uh, dehumanized, uh, the, the Jones character is, uh, with his like mirrored sunglasses, which is, you know, absolutely blocking us off. Uh, from looking into his soul, uh, quote-unquote. Uh, maybe this is all part of the point. I don't know. Um, but I think that for as quick as the film jumps into its uh, its its um, plot, its situation, uh, I think that it spends a lot of the middle kind of spinning its wheels. Um, I think that uh, Jones does the best that he can, as does uh, Yafet Koto, uh, who, who you know shows up here. Uh, but I think that these two guys are essentially just kind of treading water in a pretty shallow pool, uh, while Peter Dvorsky, who uh, showed up in a, a few Cronenberg movies, actually, uh, to kind of uh, you know circle back around to uh, to what we're going to be covering, um, Peter Dvorsky, who you know plays this very one note political villain uh, in the movie, which I thought was kind of uh, senseless and kind of a waste uh, in a lot of ways. Um, I don't think that there, you know, there really doesn't seem to be much, much actual, uh, danger going on throughout the movie, uh, despite some, uh, some decent pyrotechnics and a little bit of gunfire. Uh, and you know, at the end of the day, then the movie just kind of ends. Um, and it's, you know, it's like, well, you know, what did we accomplish? Uh, what did we do? What did we, nothing. Uh, he just, you know, it just stops. The, the situation stops, it's diffused, uh, if you like, um, and you don't really feel like there has been any any chasm uh, traversed, uh, I guess, in a way. Um, and, you know, the, the, the end of the day, the movie is, is pretty bloodless and, and pretty innocuous um, all along the line. I, I mean, it's straight down the middle. Uh, and worst, worst of all, it, it you know, it, it pretends that 
uh, it pretends that it has something to say when it, it really just doesn't want to say much of anything. Uh, it was the way that I took it, at least. Uh, and I think that, you know, that's kind of even worse. Uh, I'm not saying that, you know, every movie has to uh, be a barn burner or every movie has to uh, lay some massive uh, revelation on the audience. But, you know, Jesus Christ, don't pretend like you're going to and then don't. Uh, give me something, uh, even though, you know, it may be the same old thing. I mean, at least, you know, act like you're going to, you know, tickle my ass before you fucking kiss me. Um, but uh, yeah, that was the way that uh, that was the way that, that went. Uh, did a uh, rewatch of Class of 1999 and, uh, and this one with uh, Mark Lester commentary. Uh, and for those who want to uh, hear more about that, you can go back to the show where we reviewed it. Uh, but I did enjoy the uh, the Lester commentary, and I still enjoy this movie very much. It's it's a uh, it's a ton of fun, uh, and obviously, I am always happy to see uh, Pam Greer bearing her robotic breasts, uh, even though I know that in reality I'm hoping that they're not robotic. Um, and then. Uh, da, 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 da. I did a watch of this movie called Devils of Darkness, 1964, from Lance Comfort. Um, th- and this is uh, a little something very much in the uh, the more contemporary Hammer mold uh, when they would, were doing stuff like, uh, well, I shouldn't even say Hammer, but uh, I should say Euro mold, maybe, uh, because this much falls much more in line with um, uh, Island of Terror, up to and including uh, the inclusion of Carol King. Uh, in one of the uh, the main roles, uh, the movie is 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 uh, steeped in formality, both stylistically and culturally, uh, and it follows the uh, the cliche uh, of having a, a lot of scenes set in the lobby of small village in uh, with a uh, a main character whose name just so happens to be Paul, which I don't know why uh, British and or European um, filmmakers of the '60s. Uh, love to name characters Paul, but they did. Uh, maybe all of them were were uh, you know descended from their parents and his their fathers were named Paul. I don't know, um, but uh, regardless, uh, this uh, the sort of uh, rigidity of uh, of form that you get in these sort of things uh, is what kind of uh, holds the the appeal for me, and it always kind of has. Um, because I don't know if, you know, anybody who's been listening to me, uh, squelch on and on and on, uh, about movies has, uh, has picked up on that. But I, I, I tend to be a little bit more traditionalist, uh, in a lot of ways. Um, the, uh, the problem is that much of the, you know, in, in this particular movie, uh, much of the, 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 uh, the story, uh, just really, really doesn't move along at all. Uh, and while, you know, there is a little bit of potential that comes out of this thing, uh, for the, uh, more outlandish of, uh, shenanigans, uh, I think that the same formality, um, the, of the, uh, you know, the style, uh, just ke- keeps the film a little bit more stodgy rather than being traditional. And I don't know if that statement makes a whole lot of sense, um, but I mean, if you watch this movie, I think it might it might make a little more sense to you. Um, I don't think this film is really helped at all by a, a villain who 
Uh, in my he opinion, it simply does not cut the uh, the proverbial mustard. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, I, I've seen worse. Uh, but this really just is not uh, all that uh, intrinsically impressive uh, for me. So um, there was that, and uh, you know what? I think that's about it. So all kick right. it over to you, bud. All right. Uh, I didn't watch uh, much. I've been very busy, but um, I did check out uh, my son and I checked out the Snake Eyes Origins film, the GI Joe Origins oh, yeah, film. You said you were going to that. Yeah, yeah. we checked yeah. that out. It, it was. It was fine. It's it's exactly what I thought it would be as far as you know the director and everything. Um I think some of the the action was a bit lost and and some of the things were a little convoluted and didn't need to be. I liked Henry Golding a lot as Snake Eyes and I did not like the actor portraying um uh Storm Shadow that much. He's a little over emo for me, but uh you know, uh, I think I wanted something else and got something else uh, that I didn't really want. But at the same time, I did enjoy it. Um, I wouldn't say it's uh, great shakes, though. I wouldn't say that. Uh, it it just it does it doesn't live up to the promise. And I think that the problem for me is that um, I, it, it's like the other GI Joe films. It just seems a bit lost. Like it just can't seem to find its way. Which you wouldn't think that it would, because GI Joe is such a you know. You would I think mean, how 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 difficult is it to follow this formula? Ah, you you'd think it'd be a lot easier, but uh, you would think it would be like falling off a log at this point. Yeah. I mean, really, they they struggle with it though. I did enjoy it. I will I will say that. I mean, I'm probably gonna be more hypercritical of it than most, but sure. um, and for the most part, it it's it's perfectly fine. Uh, kind of bl- uh, you know, kind of middle of the road entertainment fair but you know it's uh definitely could have been i don't know i I think with another director it would have been a better film i do i do believe that and i thought that from the beginning when i first saw who was the director attached to it and i still think that um and then the only other thing i watched we watched uh jungle cruise last night family wanted to watch it so we watched that last night and uh that's it it's an interesting movie it's essentially um it's fine. I, I didn't love it, but it's uh, it's a definitely a family entertainment film. But it's certainly speaking of how time has passed, it reminds me of a film that's inspired by the pirates films. And uh, you know, I think you know, Pirates of the Caribbean was like two thousand three. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking out of turn there, but it seems like it was maybe. It seems like it was that long ago, but maybe it wasn't that long ago. Maybe it was. I don't know. I'm going to look it up right now because I can't remember. But this thing has got pirates written all over it. Uh, it's amazing, actually, how much. Yeah, I was right. Pirates of the Caribbean and Curse of the Black Pearls 2003. So you're talking about 17, 18 years ago, almost 20 years ago. And uh, so you're seeing that kind of influence of old films on new films. And, uh, you know, I know that doesn't seem old, but 21 years ago or 18 years ago, is uh is is some time it's a whole generation of people so uh it's interesting uh how but but this wasn't rated R. no it was not rated R. uh this is definitely uh it's definitely influenced by that though i mean man you can really tell and uh it's kind of amazing how um, this is this is not verbinski 
No, 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 no. It's actually uh, uh, it's the guy that directed Orphan. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can't remember his name off the top I of my head. Orphan. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. A lot of people were kind of surprised by that. But if you go back and look at uh, Tsuame Colette, Colette Serra, mm. but if you go back and look at his filmography since he did Orphan, he's been basically making uh, Liam Neeson movies. Uh, <laughs> I think he did the, well, he did the Shallows. That's a shark movie. But he did Run All Night, The Commuter, Nonstop, and Unknown. So he did four uh, Liam Neeson movies. Good God. Those guys are having breakfast in bed. Yeah, so they, they obviously got along real well. And I've seen Run All Night, and I've seen The Commuter, and uh, I've seen Run All Night. Yeah, yeah, they're fine. They're not, they're nothing great, but they're they're fine. But he did also, uh, you know, the remake of House of Wax before he did Orphan. Oh, and uh, that was a little, you know, discombobulated and strange. But it, you know, Orphan was good, and uh, you know, he kind of made a splash. But I mean, this is a this is a well made big budget movie. There's no doubt about that. I mean, it's definitely a big budget movie. It's a, it's a crowd pleaser. Um, but I wouldn't recommend it to anybody unless you're in the mood for something kind of big and, and expensive and just kind of thoughtless. It's not, you know, it's no, it's no great shakes. Uh, but it, man, I was just, in, just insanely like kind of overwhelmed by the, the, the pirates of the Caribbean of all of it. It was, I mean, even the villain is similar to the pirates of the Caribbean. It's just kind of unbelievable, uh, how that's kind of come back around. Talk about, uh, using a formula. So. Very interesting. Very interesting in that regard. Um, yeah, much better than the Jungle Cruise ride at Disney World. I'll say that. <laughs> oh, yada, yada, yada. Uh, that's about all I watched. I didn't watch anything else. Um, I think, yeah, that's everything. Uh, let's uh, take a short break. We'll come back and talk about Cronenberg's uh, Fast Company from 79. We'll be back right after this. Yeah, got to drink up them fumes <laughs> and them funny cars. I like how they uh, they differentiate between the two. Uh, they make sure to mention that uh, you know Lonnie in the film, uh, played by one uh, William Smith, Lonnie. Uh, what's his last name? Lucky Man Johnson. Lonnie Lucky Man Johnson. Uh, he's doing typically he's doing standard dragster racing um but they want him to jump back in the funny cars and funny cars are a little well there's a reason why they're called funny cars mm. um and they get kind of gets back into that so uh fast company 1979 uh directed by one david cronenberg 
Uh, after his, I've heard of him. Yeah, after He's his after his sponsor replaces him with his arch rival, a race car driver decides to steal the car and race it himself. That mm, kind of what it's it, like the last twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what it's about in some spots, but really, it's kind of a, a passing of the torch kind of movie. Uh, one guy tired of doing his thing, uh, and another gay, young guy, kind of an up and comer trying to make his uh, kind of peace. His bones. Yeah, make his bones or earn his uh, stripes, however you want to say it. Sure, 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 sure. Any of those things. So this film is very Canadian. Uh, uh, shot up in well, uh, uh, Edmonton yeah, area, ahead, I think. Brian. I think it was shot in the Edmonton area. I'm not 100% positive on that. but uh, And uh, for those who don't know about David Cronenberg, probably the only little bit of kind of information I can give you here is... Uh, not only is he a uh, interesting filmmaker, but he's also a diehard uh, car enthusiast, mm-hmm. and uh, he, that really doesn't come through in a lot of his movies. Maybe in Crash, well, yeah, it does how many a little bit. Can you think of where he actually focused on cars aside yeah. from Crash? Yeah, which Crash is used for another psychological aspect of it. But yes, yes. But this is uh, it. Kind of stands out in his filmography because um, I kind of wonder. And I don't know this because I didn't read or anything or check into it at all. I kind of wonder if uh, some part of him didn't want to kind of transfer into a different type of filmmaking, but he kind of got pigeonholed like so many of us do. It, it, it does kind of feel like this movie was kind of his his um, attempt at uh, quote-unquote legitimacy. Yeah, yeah. I think in a lot of ways. Yeah. It does. It feels that way, and it also feels that way for William Smith in a way because he's really trying to sure. perform here. Even though I would argue that uh, somebody needs to tell William Smith to take his hands out of his pockets because he <laughs> he can't keep him out of there the, the whole movie. He's kind of standing around. Well, if he with does, he's just going to punch Clint Eastwood. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he looks uh, he looks pretty great in this, and it, it's got a fun cast. It's got William Smith. It's got Claudia Jennings, yeah. uh, cult yeah. actor Claudia yeah. Jennings. John Saxon's in here playing the uh, the heavy. He's such a he's such a prick in this movie. <laughs> Uh, Nicholas Campbell, who it doesn't sound like a name you know, but you've seen him in about a million you've, things. Absolutely, yeah. He's definitely got a certain kind of look, and uh, a few other George Buzas in here playing Meatball. He's uh he's an actor you've seen in other things. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And uh, you know, it's a uh, it's inter- it's an interesting experiment. Let's see what you thought. I don't know. Had you seen this before? Or is this uh? I had not. Okay, um, and right. there are reasons for that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, once again, uh, and you know, I, I, I gotta go back to, for anybody who, who thought that, uh, the, uh, the song that we played coming into this review is kind of bland and, and ordinary and, and, you know, middle of the road. Uh, I think that's essentially what you'll get out of this movie. Mm. Um, you know, cards on the table, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. as far as that mm-hmm. goes. Uh, I think that, you know, I, well, no, I don't think, uh, once again, I think that you and I are, are, are cycling together more or less in, in the, the, uh, the fact that, you know, I was going to pick a, a very different, uh, Cronenberg in the near future, mm. um, which I'm now pumping the brakes on. I'm not going to say what that is, obviously. <laughs> uh, I think you could probably throw a dart at this point because we've covered a lot of his filmography. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, what it is, you know, I'm, I'm going to save. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, in, in his uh, in his oeuvre uh, to, uh, to bastardize the French, uh, as they should be, um, this, is a, this is a picture that, uh, you know, I, I, I personally had just stayed away from simply because 
uh, of the uh, the subject matter. I I have never ever 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 in my entire life had any interest in racing in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I I have had uh, people uh, who I've worked with who are who are diehards uh, for all this sort of thing, and mm-hmm. it just it just the 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 appeal escapes me entirely. Right. Uh, even even when all of that uh, monster truck horse shit carrying on was happening, uh, there there's just no draw. There's absolutely no draw for me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, and I think that you know. The appeal of this sort of thing, I mean, in, in the way that it, it eludes me, even when you get into to crashes, which, uh, you know, I'll be perfectly honest, that's what I suspect uh, most people actually go to these things in anticipation of, um, you know, kind of like some uh, sort of uh, degenerate gambler who keeps betting on the same number in roulette. Uh, though, you know, I, I also kind of tend to think that there's, a uh, higher probability uh, for a, uh, uh, a crash at a racing event, um, but I think that you know anyway, films like this or uh, Le Mans or uh, Stroke Race, uh, they just don't turn my head uh, in any way, shape, or form. Mm. Uh, never have, never. I don't think will. Um, so sure, sure. you know, this is kind of funny since you know I do genuinely love other car movies, uh, most particularly uh, of the uh, the Hal Needham. Uh, sort like uh, right. you know, smoking the bandit, Cannibal Run, uh, or um, uh, the Mad Max series, Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, all this sort of thing. Sure. Um, but I think that the difference is in that uh, these other movies are much more uh, capital R road films than they are car films. Although there is a heavy love for the, like the machines uh, in those of those movies as well. But I think that the uh, the point that they are, they they you know the those other movies don't really stay in one place, or just do one thing, uh, even though they kind of do, uh, you know that, that kind of helps me get over that hump a little bit more. Uh, they're much more, um, um, uh, I guess the word would be heightened. Uh, they're more uh, um, uh, stunt driven, uh, I think, in uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, and I think that kind of uh, that kind of alleviates that. Yeah, uh, that that, that but, adds to the entertainment value, right? I mean, that's oh, oh absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they're certainly, yeah, they're much more. Uh, uh, I guess the word, well, a word would be digestible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in a way, uh, what's interesting to me is the uh, the the similarities uh, between these two sorts of movies in terms of uh, the relationship to men. And machines, uh, something that I think that Cronenberg, most especially Cronenberg, uh, has forever been interested in, um, even outside the film world. And I think that you know his interest in technology uh, and what that does to us uh, is kind of an extension of that. Because you know, although I, I you know, I, I would also kind of suggest that you know, uh, I think Cronenberg is far more forgiving of machines like cars than he is about things like um, uh, science and medicine. Uh, maybe because those those things uh, are I, I, I got to back off here. Uh, I think that maybe cars are much more primal and much more basic mm. uh, in a way. I mean, you you could fuck with a car engine until you're blue in the face, uh, but you're only going to take it so far. And a car will always be, I think, essentially, uh, you know, just four tires, an engine, and a wheel to drive it. 
Um, but you know, to get the most out of uh, any car, it's always been um, the uh, the general philosophy that the driver needs to be great. Uh, and there's this sort of um, uh, uh, fantasy, like a sen- uh, sensual sensuality fantasy uh, that we get about you know uh, a driver and his machine uh, that I think interests people. Uh, and that, yeah, that obviously is something that Cronenberg uh, has uh, has always kind of had uh, a certain affinity for, and certainly something that that he would take to its its logical extension uh, it to you know crash uh, down the road, uh, like we kind of mentioned earlier on. Um, I think that uh, you know similarly, uh, these sorts of movies contain a certain uh, innate love of country. Um, and you know, while typically this is uh, America, uh, you know, though all we can kind of take Canada, uh, in a pinch, uh, like in this movie, but, uh, I think that, you know, very wisely, uh, Cronenberg is very, very careful to make Canada and its inhabitants look and feel like America. Mm. Uh, and I think that this then, you know, kind of boils down to the, the, the very simple, very basic, uh, story of the film, which is you know the the old worn out dog being replaced by the uh, the young newer dog and being antagonized by, by the uh, you know the bad boy uh, and by you know the the oily weaselly douchebag boss in the uh, the the, uh, the John Saxon character um, because all these guys are you know essentially after the uh, capital's uh, American dream. Uh, in slightly different respects, and I think that that comes with the uh, the doubts and the tensions of uh, achieving success and, and integrity and all that sort of stuff uh, that you know just goes along with this uh, this sort of uh, story just in and of itself. Um, I think that uh, you know Cronenberg he very very wisely makes very terrific uh, actual use of uh, the drag racing culture in general. Uh, there's a lot of really great. Uh, documentary-esque uh, shots that you get of the uh, the people and places where these things happen, uh, or at least used to happen. I don't know if they still do. I mean, I'm assuming they do it to some uh, regard, to some uh, level, uh, some way, shape, or form. And, and there's there's an absolute love um, for this uh, sort of culture in the film uh, that you can feel coming out of Cronenberg uh, from behind the camera. And I think that goes a long way, uh, as I think is best exemplified. I think. Uh, by the scene where we're actually in uh, the uh, the driver's seat with one of the drivers while you know there he's doing his thing yeah. uh, with the uh, the inset of the timer uh, going along with it and, and it only happens this one time and I, I really found that interesting uh, in that he only uh, he only has this uh, this like specific moment in the film uh, where this happens and it's a, a really great uh, it's a really great moment and you seriously do feel uh, like you're there. Uh, with the uh, the driver uh, at that time, um, so I mean, it's it, as an experience. I thought that was quite something. Yeah. Um, it's also uh, supremely odd, I think, to see Cronenberg doing some of the uh, the stuff in here that he does. Uh, most specifically, you know, like stuff like uh, his use of uh, rock music and the uh, the very overtly seventies car culture aspects, like the the hitchhiker scene and so forth. Uh, and you know, kind of like what we hinted at uh, previous uh, a little bit uh, earlier on here, 
it, it really almost feels like he was trying to appeal to a completely different audience and kind of break away from the horror like ghetto mm-hmm. uh, that he had, uh, you know, kind of made his bones in. Um, now, whether that's true or just, you know, my suspicion or whether he was simply trying to, you know, kind of flex different muscles and, and play with uh, some different toys that he enjoyed, I, I, I honestly couldn't say. Uh, you know, Cronenberg would have to be the guy to uh, to uh, shed light on that if he chose to. Um, but, I, you know, this totally 100% does not feel like a David Cronenberg film. No. Uh, and and, and I, I don't really necessarily mean that in a bad way. No. Because no, it no. is a very well put together yeah. film. Because, you know, he really does bring all of his technical chops um, to bear on this movie. I mean, it looks fantastic. Uh, and it also helps that, you know, the cast is as solid as you can get for this sort of thing, even though, you know, I think that um, Claudia Jennings, uh, fucking thing. Uh, Claudia Jennings, I don't think is on screen nearly enough as she should be, yeah. uh, though when she is, I mean, let's be perfectly blunt, you, you cannot pry your eyes off the woman, uh, as always. Uh, you know, uh, Big Bill Smith, you know, he comes off as being this really kind of, uh, deadly serious, but also kind of uh, quietly concerned uh, sort of uh, character. And John Saxon, you know, he, he's his, he's his, his usual uh, great weasel sort of uh, sort of guy. Nicholas Campbell. Uh, here's I think where the the, the film kind of stumbles a little bit because he's he's kind of okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think that he fits the bill in the sort of uh, Toshiro Mufune slash James Con role. Uh, that I think you know he he occupies as best he can, and, and he's never really totally obnoxious, but he's also just kind of not somebody that we really give much of a shit about. Yes. Uh, whether he becomes the next big thing or not, I, I think that we're uh, we're a little more concerned with what's going to happen to the overall, um, let's uh, let's call it family unit, um, of these uh, this little caravan of uh, of gypsies. Uh, who kind of just rove around doing their thing than we are about, you know, Nicholas Campbell, you know, getting to, uh, to make the grade. Uh, and I think that that's kind of, uh, kind of a misstep because, you know, you just, you just never really care. Yeah. I didn't certainly. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I think his character, I, I mean, it, he's playing this, I don't know what the word would be, but he. Ingenue. Yeah. I and, don't know. and the problem is, is that he's just not that interesting. And he's really not. And I think that's sad because I think that Campbell's a good actor. He, he is. Always has been. Yeah, he is. He pops up and stuff from time to time. A lot of uh, B movies, really. But yeah, he pops yeah, up yeah. and stuff from time to time. And he's always very solid. And he's got a look. He's got a definite look. His eyes are kind of this pale blue yes. kind of color. So once you see him, you're like, oh, I've seen this guy in other stuff. He's one of those kind of actors. But mm-hmm. in this film, yeah, he's got a very thankless task in a way uh, because he's. He's got to play this young ingenue, this uh, this want to make a mark kind of character, and uh, you're just not interested in his character at all. He just seems to fall into bed with random women, right. and uh, not that you know. I mean that that's a sign of the times as far as film goes. So that's that's there's nothing wrong with well, that. Right, but it's I mean, just we, it, we don't. Th- th- it's empty. Th- th- there's nothing done with it. There's nothing. Yeah, you know, that's just, what I'm saying. It's just empty. And yeah. uh, that's the problem I have with this movie. Now, I like this movie as a curiosity. I like this movie because of the way it looks, because uh, right. I do think it looks well. It does look good. It oh, pops. it looks fantastic. Yeah. 
But I agree with you that the movie ultimately just feels like it kind of lays there. It's not that it's bad, but it's not really great either. It's just kind of, it's just kind of, uh, it feels, uh, I don't want to say misguided, uh, but it does feel rudderless in a way. It kind of feels like it's just kind of hanging out. Uh, This is me trying to do something different. And uh, there's no real bite to it. And even when there is... It livens up a little bit, like the confrontations between Saxon and Smith, which is kind of what you want, because if you're a fan, I think, of those two actors, you want those two guys to kind of get into it. But even then, it's like a a preamble, and then it kind of just goes away. (laughs) Well, I found it interesting that for a guy like Cronenberg, if he's he's going to make a play for for a more mainstream sort of um, status, why he would choose something that was so uh, fatty, and I, that's fatty with two D's, not two T's. Um, you know what I mean? Like the, the like. I mean, I I I could have seen him doing something much more like a, a cries and whispers uh, than I could see him doing something which is so uh, populist. Uh, as as fast company is, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I think that that's kind of where he misstepped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because I don't think that you know I don't think that Cronenberg has ever been uh, a populist filmmaker, even though he's made movies that are populist in a lot of ways, uh, or or appeal to a wide wide swath of uh, of uh, an audience, right? Um. And, you know, getting back to, you know, the, the whole casting thing, I think that, you know, it, it's weird to me that I think that, that the uh, the Cedric Smith uh, character, the blacksmith character, is, is actually the most interesting guy in the entire movie. Yeah. Uh, and I really wished that there had been more done with him because he's, he, you know, he's he's kind of he's kind of uh, brought in and he's given certain aspects that you kind of, you know, it starts to, you know, you kind of get a little bit of a flicker, but then they just kind of cut to another scene with uh, Smith and, and Campbell just doing their kind of hokey, you know, shit kicker thing, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it just kind of derails any sort of uh, any sort of legit interest that the movie could have generated. I think, I mean, because this guy, you know, he, he's he's a villain in, in a way, but he has like integrity, right? Uh, at, at least when he's on the track, uh, and he, you know, he has this sort of. Um, certain like also ran you know always second best sort of resentment uh that i found to be really compelling uh and you know he's also tied in with obviously you know jordan booza uh and the the meatball character who that guy he is so fucking intense Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh in this movie that it's just you know it's really kind of funny uh as well as being kind of um uh discomforting i think in a way uh and these these sort of things they, they really come through uh, when we get to the finality, which actually then is, you know, pretty damn Cronenberg-y in a lot of ways, while yeah. also being very traditional. Uh, but, you know, it it doesn't quite fit um, while it actually still kind of does fit. Uh, and it's just it's just such a, an oddity uh, in Cronenberg's filmography. You know, I, I appreciate that he was he was kind of, you know, the labor of loving it uh, with this thing. And trying to uh, to poke at the bear, so to speak, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, I, I just think he's he's really misplaced. Yeah. Uh, in in how he was trying to do it, I mean, and that's the thing about the film. I mean, it's good. 
uh, it's solid. It's you know, it's it's uh, entertaining and it's it's engaging enough. Uh, but I think that aside from you know being solid filmmaking, there's really nothing about the film that especially stands out. And I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want that you know uh, sort of faint praise to put people off watching this movie because I, I think it's interesting to watch uh, as a curio. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yes, yes. I, I, I think that it's worth seeing, certainly for its historical relevance. Uh, cinematically and culturally, as much as any film like it, you know, is or can be. Yeah. But I, I, I really don't consider this to be a classic or, or, or a particularly uh, bright spot in uh, in Cronenberg's career. No. Uh, I think it's it's much much more of um like a uh, pleasant diversion mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, than it is anything else. Yeah. And like uh, I said, you know, it's definitely a curiosity because it's. It's just one of those things. I think I mean, it, it's it's one of those things where it's, it, I don't think it's anything for anybody to be like, um, uh, what sort of looking word ashamed of. Mm-hmm. No, um, no, certainly but not. I also don't think that it's anything that you know you, you want to make like be the the pinnacle of uh, of your career, right? Uh, for these guys, so. right? I mean, it's just it's it's a weird kind of blip in a filmography, and I always find right. these kind of right. interesting. Uh, because most filmmakers, if you kind of go look, especially filmmakers like Cronenberg or filmmakers who are quote unquote auteurs or certainly have a look or a style or a uh, theme that they keep, you know, kind of coming back to, um, it's always interesting when they kind of try to step out of their comfort zone because sometimes you can do it and you, you're, you're just fine. Sometimes you can do just about anything. I mean, I was talking about that, uh, that director of orphan. Uh, the in the opening there and uh, you know here's a guy who did a couple horror films and uh, then just steps right into the Disney world and just does a a Disney film like it's nobody's business now Mm -hmm. you can cut that up to several things it can be just the fact that he's you know easy to work with or he's just fun and happy making studio movies which is also a gift for some folks Um, you know Cronenberg doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would make studio movies um and of course he didn't most of his career but i think you know like most folks i think he wanted to be maybe more successful than what he was or maybe he wanted to do different things um but you know he tried and it didn't quite pan out for him the way i think he anticipated the other thing about this movie that i find i kind of find interesting is that nobody really kind of steps outside of their performance in any way uh, no. Bill Smith is being Bill Smith. He's uh, he's fine. He's totally fine in the movie. He's magnetic, and I think he's the best thing about the movie. But he also is not doing anything special. He's just being Bill Smith. Um, and William Campbell, same thing. I mean, nothing really special. Uh, none of the actors are really kind of stepping outside themselves. Actually, I think the foe, the uh, the foil for William Smith he might have the best arc of the whole movie, really, right? Because he seems like the bad guy, and this would be the uh, Cedric Smith character, Gary the Blacksmith, like you talked about. Yes. But he seems the most interesting in a lot of ways. because absolutely. He is trying to figure it out. Like, he he wants to be competitive, but at the same time, he's like, well, that's not fair. But he also also has this sort of of prodigal son sort of thing going on. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which I found really compelling. Yeah. Uh, but it just he he. But unfortunately, Cronenberg doesn't do anything with it. And no. I'm just like, why? Why would you not play that up? Why would you not latch on to that? Yeah. You know, dig in with the with both 
heels and just you know ride that fucking pony. Yeah. But you know, he, he just doesn't. I, I found that very disappointing in a lot yeah. of ways because you know the 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 Smith and uh, Blacksmith, um, the Smith and Smith uh, <laughs> dichotomy Smith. I thought was really really was really really uh, something interesting and, and you know they just don't go with it. They go yeah. with this sort of standard uh, sort of you know Luke Skywalker sort of story. Yeah. Uh, and they just, they, they ride that fucking pony out and I'm just like, okay, that's the way you want to go. That's fine. But you, you, you have lightning in a bottle that you, you can capture, uh, why you wouldn't, I don't know, but you're choosing to because of, I, I'm assuming, um, market reasons or so supposed market reasons or the producer had, you know, some hair across his ass. I don't know. Uh, what have you? But I, it's, I, it's, I, I just found that really disappointing in a yeah. lot of ways. I think it's because really, I think this could have been something much more interesting, much more uh, um, thoughtful. Yeah, uh, the just being the surface that it chooses to be in, like almost Corman-esque sort of way. Yeah, and I don't say that to delegitimize Corman or delegitimize Cronenberg for that matter. Yeah. Well, I think too that you know the car film. Um, to me, is starting to die around this time. It's starting to. Oh, absolutely. By seventy. Well, yeah, by seventy nine. Yeah. Yeah, by yeah. seventy nine, it's starting to kind of head the other way, and uh, it's not over yet, but it is starting to head the other it's way. It's getting there. Yeah. Yeah. You you know you mentioned stuff like you know even though we have an affection for Cannonball Run and films like these. Love, love, love Cannonball. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, just, you know, a couple years later, after Cannonball Run, you get, you know, Stroker Ace, which is, again, is just a, uh, basically a Burt Reynolds vehicle, uh, just to, uh, no no pun intended there, but basically, <laughs> a, uh, just, you know, an excuse to have Burt Reynolds get into a car again at that point. And then, of course, that's a Hal Needham film as well, but it's not nearly as kind of put together as Needham's other films, uh, give or take. And I just think, you know, that's I think probably eighty five. I think is a stroke race. I think that you know the car film is just you know dying down. But people I think forget about how popular the car film was. Uh, you know, Burt Reynolds was a big part of that uh, that whole thing. But then you like you said, Roger Corman. You mentioned his name, uh, even though I don't think he was really excited about Death Race. Uh, when he saw it, my dust or yeah, you know, Grand Theft Auto. But or he knew the Great Texas Dynamite Chase. Yeah, or, but he knew that they made money. And people yes, would go to these. Yes. And, of course, we come from a generation where the car is a character in films. Uh, you know, Indeed. Bandits Trans Am. Well, we had, we had an entire television series devoted yes. to, you know. Yes. A car. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, we did. I'm not going to say what it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We did, though. I mean. And, guess. And, and it's he, not Stingray, even though Stingray was a great show. Yeah. It's interesting because. You know, you mentioned uh, monster trucks in the beginning, and they're they're, they're again. That's the uh, and and I, now I'm not commenting on monster truck culture. If you love monster trucks, you love monster trucks, and they just don't do anything for me. But what I'm saying is, the monster trucks are almost like the parody of the crazy car culture of the '70s, because the monster trucks come around late '70s, early '80s, and now we've taken it to we've taken it to extremes. We've exaggerated it, and. Uh, you know, it still exists, and it's a totally different thing. And I don't even know what monster truck rallies. I don't even know what they do with those things. But I know that it still has its fan base, and people love those kinds of things. And I, I think that stuff will always kind of be around. But I think the you know the idea of jumping cars, of 
cars going through the air. Think about how few films nowadays that have cars actually have them fly through the air and land and drive. More than often than not, if they are flying through the air nowadays, they're flying through the air to wreck. It really is a difference in the culture. I mean, there was a time when we thought, you know, that the this Dodge Charger, uh, this orange Dodge Charger could jump over everything and they would never have to work on it at all because, no. you know... <laughs> You know, because the car was indestructible or this Trans Am, this black and gold Trans Am could jump over everything because it was a character. It was it was all part of the story. And this is the opposite side of that coin in a lot of ways. But they're trying to make the funny car in this. They're trying to make it a bit of a character. And again, because the other characters aren't as interesting as they need to be, I think that the funny car kind of comes off winning a little bit in this as an interesting character because i think nobody else is really super interesting again we talked about it. i mean the really the best arc in the movie belongs to the blacksmith character and uh you know claudia jennings she, she's great when she's in the movie i agree with you she's awesome but she's only in the movie Always. for a brief hot minute and yeah, yeah. and uh, and you know her story is a tragic story uh for those who well, don't know she died in a car wreck in a lot of ways yeah yeah, I mean, for what she's for, for what she's given, I mean, it's just kind of like. Well, her career so was just getting started too. Why? Yeah, and she's she's an interesting kind of curio in film history, and that you know she was possibly going to be a star. I mean, it's one of those things of you know dying young, and it was a total accident. I don't think there was any uh, uh, weird behavior in her car accident. I think somebody ran a red light. I think and uh, t boned her and uh, pretty much took her out yeah from what i understand from what i recall i don't think it was anything like uh speeding or anything like that but uh, you know it could be my knowledge no so it's just a tragic story um i think the the real strength or only need to see this film really lies in looking at the cast and being a cinephile and looking at david cronenberg but you will not see except for maybe the nudity in this film and the kind of frankness of the nudity, you really will not see any of David Cronenberg in here. There is a little fetishization of the cars, a little bit, but not nearly as much as he would put into Crash. And uh, that feels more like what he was kind of going for. I found it interesting um, how how tight, uh, he became technically having transcended the sort of uh, the low budget horror stuff, yeah, uh, of a few years prior, mm-hmm. uh, and you you can see that, right? Uh, you could see that you know I mean I mean like I said before I mean you could you could tell very clearly that the guy has you know the 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 technical skills mm-hmm. uh, to be as good. Uh, if not better than uh, a lot of directors out there. Yes. Uh, it's just that I think that he, it's just, it just, I don't know. It just seems like this one's missing. It something, seems kind right? of like, yeah, right. It's, it's it, just, it, it feels like just kind of, uh, you know, uh, an audition for something that you just know yeah. is not meant. It's missing some type of pathos and I don't know what it is, but well, but that's, that's Cronenberg. I mean, yeah. Cronenberg has a certain coldness. He has a certain clinic clinicality, uh, for one of a, a better word yeah. that I'm completely mutilating. Um, 
to him that I, I the, you know, has been the appeal to his his movies to begin with, and it just isn't here. He's, he's yeah. not a he's not a popular happy-go-lucky guy. No, uh, filmically, I think that I you know the, the clinical nature of him is there, but I, I not 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 it is it is, but it's not. I, I, I just wish that you know I, I get that I get that this is his passion. I and I, I appreciate that out the wazoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just, it, you know, and I'm glad that he got this out of his system. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, just kind of like, eh, there's nothing underneath okay, that though. But, yeah. 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 No, I totally agree with you. You know what it, it, it's to use the clinic metaphor even further. It's a really clean clinic with nothing below the surface. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, it's totally surface. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's one of it's his well done surface. Sure. But it's totally surface. It's interesting because yeah. it's one of his. Honestly, it's one of his best looking movies. Right. And and that's that's the weird thing is that when you get to the end of the movie with that finale, it's like, holy fuck. Okay, so now we're going full Cronenberg. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, but then, you know, we have nothing to lead up to that, but then we have nothing going away from that either. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's, it's like this moment of, you know, devastation that he sort of loves uh, with, with no real uh, consequence before or after. Yeah, and it's just kind of you know it's like so much else in the movie. It just kind of lays there. Then yeah. and you're just kind of like, well, I can enjoy it in these moments that it's happening, but at the same time, it's just nothing that you know I'm gonna I'm gonna revisit or want to investigate or want to uh, take with me. Correct. Um, Correct. And you know, so as as far as being like cinema, then you're just kind of like, well, okay, it's it's a thing. Yeah. No. Yeah. It, that's it. Just that's just it. It's it's fine. It's uh, interesting for, I think this is the second time I've seen it and I've come away from it feeling exactly the same. I will say, just to add one more little tidbit to this this whole review, I don't know if it's in Will Smith's contract to uh, have chewing gum in every scene he's in, <laughs> but man, we talk about people who are great smokers on camera and he's a good smoker on camera. We should say that. We we definitely should say that because he, uh, he does a little smoke in here, but man, yep, that guy yep. is always chewing gum. And yes. uh, I don't know if he's chewing gum, like he's actually got chewing gum in his mouth, or if he just does the chewing gum motion. It's like a nervous he's eating thing. Eating his tongue. Yeah. Uh, but one of my favorite scenes in the movie is the scene where he decides he's going to go against Saxon, and he talks about the uh, the synthetic oil for a toilet bowl cleaner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of the best scenes in the movie. But he does give the uh, the Bill Smith rape face a little bit, but not nearly as much as uh, <laughs> not nearly as much as you would like. It really is. A curiosity in both Cronenberg's filmography, but also in a lot of ways in in William Smith's filmography, in that he is essentially just a stand up guy in this, and yeah. uh, he's trying to yeah, do what's right. He didn't really get to do much uh, yeah. at all here. Yeah, it, uh, it is, it, in his career, he always he always tended to be hard ass. Yeah, uh, I think that uh, honestly, you know, the the two roles that I think of where he kind of got to stretch his, his legs a little bit. Um, maybe the losers but definitely uh like we said before uh any which way you can oh yeah uh where he's kind of given that that sort of foil mm-hmm. um role uh, opposite the eastwood uh and then invasion of the Beat girls where he's clearly uh the protagonist in a lot of ways in, the, in that sort of uh you know two-fisted action horror sort of way yeah I think um, I think about that any which way you can performance all the time. It is such a bizarrely right, right. deep character for right. what it is. Well, yeah, he's given he's given he's given the integrity that we have here, yeah. but he's given it to do in a very demonstrable 
Yeah. Uh, Bill Smith fashion. Yeah. It's very interesting. It's, it, I don't know if it's the apex of the William Smith character, the, the, the character actor that he is, but throughout time, as, and we talked about this some, uh, last week, but the, you know, throughout time, I've come to realize that that character is in, incredibly deep for what it is. I mean, that's usually just a throwaway character sure. in, in 99.9% of movies. Uh, sure. but any which way you can has this little brief moment of genius in making the foil uh very interesting uh and sure. it's only well, for like remember, 10 minutes you know, when, when you have when you have guys like smith who you know are they have a certain look to them uh then obviously you know hollywood loves to pigeonhole them once they've you know found it oh yeah uh and you know i i don't think that maybe he was given these things uh of you know a, a uh, let's say a, 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 a more depth than he was capable of because I think he would have been capable of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think that he was never really given the the chance or given the um, the challenge uh, to go there mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah. So and, yeah. you know, so much, so much the poorer I think we are for that. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah. That's all I got too. So if you just want to give your make breaks MVTs. Yeah, 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 yeah. We can do this. Uh, make or break. Uh, you know, I, 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 I really, really, really love that POV shot uh, that we get in the movie from the driver's seat. I think that it really kind of makes clear the uh, the reason mm. uh, for Cronenberg's passion for this uh, this sport uh, to begin with. And you know, even if watching racing still has you know zero appeal to me, um, I can at least understand a bit more of the attraction from the uh, the driver's perspective. Uh, from this uh, right. this moment, right? Uh, and I appreciate that. Uh, MVT, um, I'm gonna go with Cronenberg. Uh, you know, his love for uh, for racing really kind of shines through in this movie. I, I think that he shows that he could have been uh, a mainstream Hollywood filmmaker had he wanted to, mm. uh, which I think that you know is as evident in his low budget stuff, uh, just to a much smaller audience and. Uh, score, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go six out of 10, okay. um, because I mean, the movie just, it, it the, the standardness of it yeah. is just a little bit too much for me. No, totally fair. Uh, score. to really, to really be like, you know, you, you have to have to see fast company. Yeah. Uh, like I said before, I mean, as a curio, yes. Yeah. Uh, as a must see, yeah, no, not so much. No, 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 no. Uh, I think it's totally fair score. Uh, make or break for me. It's a bit of a make and a bit of a break. It's it's a weird moment in the movie that I kind of wish there was more of. So they eventually steal the funny car back. Yeah. And Bill Smith's driving it down the road, and he pulls up next to a couple teenagers. And it's a strange American graffiti uh, <laughs> exploitation moment in a movie that I think yep. is trying to be very serious most of the way through. Yep. yep. And I both adore it and think it's reprehensible at the same time <laughs> yeah because yeah, it, it makes yeah. you know it's so stu- it's so silly like if you're stealing a car first of all first of all it's a it's a, it's an outlandish car but if you're stealing a car you're going to want to keep a low profile uh he's doing the exact opposite it's just ridiculous and uh i both love it and, and loathe it so it's one of those type of scenes uh my mvt i'm going to go with smith I, I i agree with you cronenberg is an interesting uh choice um, because of what he obviously what we know david cronenberg as and we've done you know a lot of research over the years on this show on david cronenberg i mean he's been a big part of our show jesus from the get-go 
Um, we've talked about him, uh, just you and I have talked about him quite a bit too, you know, with the uh, shivers and, uh, uh, rabid and rabid. I think we did, uh, did we, no, we didn't do the brood. Uh, we didn't do the brood, me and you, I think it was Will and I that did the brood. I think it was. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, I mean, we've talked about just about, I mean, I think he's one of our most covered directors. If I remember, uh, Ross. Hey, Fulci. Yeah. <laughs> so those guys keep coming up and it's interesting, uh, in that way, but, I'll go with Smith because I think it's a bit of a standout performance for him. It's not the kind of standout performance where I'd say you have to go out and buy a Blu-ray or you have to go out and, uh, you know, see this movie immediately. It's just in that kind of curiosity, the same way it's a Cronenberg uh, car movie. It's a Bill Smith kind of quiet, more subdued performance than you're really used to seeing. Not that he's not ever been subdued, but he... He's just kind of a a good old guy here. He's not really much other than that. Kind of a well, he figure. still has his he still has his uh, his intensity. Yeah, he does. There's moments when, like I said, the rape face shows up. So it's yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, my score is just a little bit higher in your six point five. Uh, again, yeah, and I I would bet the point five probably comes from seeing it twice because I think I had more fondness for it maybe watching it this time. But even probably, then, once probably. I started watching it. I immediately had flashbacks to the first time I saw it. And I'm sure there's an episode of this show where sometime in the past where I talked about it a little bit and how basically the same reaction that you're getting off the first time watch is exactly the same reaction I had. And I think the only reason why I'm 0.5, and I usually I can say, you know, it's just because of our personalities, but this time I think the only reason why I'm a 0.5 is because I'm going to miss Bill Smith and John Saxon. <laughs> right. Uh, and, you know, my fondness for those guys and Claudia Jennings and, you know, all these things. And and just my fondness for that era of filmmaking, too, and uh, what it meant to me, uh, even though, hands down, Cannibal Run's a much better movie than this. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's our thoughts on Fast Company. We're going to take a short break, come back and talk about A Force of One with Chucky Norris. Chucky e. Cheese. Mm-hmm. We'll be back right after this. That's a little fun little jam there. Eh? Not a nice little ditty. Yeah. The song's called uh, A Force of One. By, it looks like a group called Street Cleaner. I don't know anything about them. Uh, I guess they're a next wave uh, I guess so. Uh, type deal. I, I played that uh, basically just because it was the title. Um, but uh, maybe maybe that's a... Yeah, looks like they got... Uh, Looks like it might be, uh, yeah, I might check out some of this stuff when we get off here. It looks like it's very movie-influenced. 
Yeah, a lot of them tend to be. Yeah, yeah. Interesting stuff. Anyway, uh, Force of One. Uh, a little Chuck Norris action here for you on the GGTMC. He's back. Uh, directed by Paul Aaron. Uh, when the detectives of an undercover police unit are being mysteriously killed by a martial artist, a professional kickboxer is hired to assist them. <laughs> uh, so it's, 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 it sounds like such an 80s thing, but this is pre-80s. And uh, it's funny to say, I think uh, at one point this movie was actually called The Karate Killer or Kung Fu Killer, which I think eventually Donnie Yen ended up making uh, a Kung Fu Killer movie. I think this might have actually been called Karate Killer at one point, which I think there is another movie called The Karate Killer. I'm pretty sure there is, yeah. Um, but this is kind of a fun, kind of a silly... I, and when I say silly, you'll understand what I mean. This is... <laughs> One of the stranger films we've watched in some time where karate is considered a <laughs> a weird foreign, like, everybody is kind of looking down on it in disdain. Yes. Like, everybody in this movie, except uh, Chuck Norris and Bill Superfoot Wallace and the people involved in karate are looking at it as, like, this uh, awful, I mean, it's almost latent racism in a weird way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like chop sake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, at one point, I think uh, um, Chuck Norris tells uh, a character to meet him at a restaurant, the Inchon restaurant. It's a hangout for karate types, is what he says. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, well, what are karate types? <laughs> what What are we talking about? Anyway. Well, you know how you have your, like, your cop bars and all that? <laughs> yeah, I guess there. so. You got to have, have your karate, karate bars. Got your karate bars. Um, all right. So this film is directed by Paul Aaron. Um it's just kind of early Chuck Norris. Uh, he had kind of made a name for himself uh, in the martial arts world. Uh, he was in, obviously, a, uh, 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 a Bruce Lee film. And, uh, he, you know, he's kind of, they're kind of trying to make him a star. Uh, they're going to try to do everything they can to make him a star. And uh, he had a nice little run. Mm-hmm. I've always had, I have to say, I've always had a kind of hot and cold relationship with Chuck Norris, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I enjoy him physically on screen. I like the ideas of his movies a lot of times. Mm-hmm. But when he acts, I always cringe. Uh, I don't really think there's any time when he's uh, that I can think of off the top of my head when he delivers dialogue that I don't cringe just a little bit yeah he's not uh, he's not what anybody would call a, a thespian but no. you know it, it, it's a, he does have i think he has a certain charm more than he has any sort of uh actorly ability yeah he I has think. presence that's kind of yeah he has presence yeah presence might be a better way to put it yeah, yeah. He has presence. I mean, when he's on screen, and I, I think that you know the 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 battle between him and Bruce Lee really uh, helps cement the fact that he has some type of presence. And you know, I, in all the films, and I've seen a, quite a few Chuck Norris films in my life. I mean, it was a huge part of my youth. Oh God! Um, but I, I've always kind of thought that you know, again, he's one of those guys who looks great. Uh, the physical stuff is fine. Although it is a different type of karate on film, it's more of a kickboxing kind of roundhouse kick, uh, mostly uh, type of karate. He really never, 
it never goes full tilt like Asian cinema karate, right? It's very much American-based karate. Mm-hmm. Um, and this film is written by Pat Johnson. Now, Pat Johnson is one of those guys that you, you hear his name and you probably don't know who he is, but you've seen him in a whole bunch of things. Uh, he's usually the referee in any karate fight. He's most, oh, and, and actually in this, he's a referee in the first Chuck Norris fight, you see. But he's also the famous referee in the Daniel Sun uh, fight yes. in uh, Karate Kid. And he's been in a lot of films. He's a uh, real good friends with Steve McQueen. Uh, I don't know if he knew Bruce Lee or not. I'm assuming he probably did. But a practitioner of karate um, and uh, very much a part of that world during the 70s. Big time. Um, so this movie is, is funny. It was funny to watch. I had forgotten how <laughs> characters say things like they use karate on them. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> how there's these, these weird moments of, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's very, well, it's the same sort of thing as we see in a lot of Italian movies where they talk about how a sex maniac is mm. doing the murders. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the same kind of thing that we get here with like, it was karate killer, that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And it's 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 interesting. I'm looking at Pat Johnson's credits actually. So he started out in Enter the Dragon. So he definitely knew Bruce Lee hmm. uh, as a stunt coordinator or stunts. And then he did Black Belt Jones, Golden Needles, Ultimate Warrior, Hot Potato, Good Guys Wear Black. Hmm. He worked on Battle Creek Brawl and Force Five, Last Ninja, uh, and then he did a bunch of other stuff. And then uh, Showdown Little Tokyo, Mortal Kombat again. It pops up again this week. Uh, Wow, he was a stunt coordinator, action sequence supervisor on Punisher Warzone. I had no idea. Nice. Wow, that's uh, interesting. Uh, I don't know if he's still around or not. Uh, yeah, it looks like he is. Born 1939. God damn. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's an interesting guy. Uh, I'm sure he's got a lot of great stories because he hung out with a lot of great guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, I would love to see a documentary about him. Yeah, certainly. Would definitely like to see a documentary about him. Uh, anyway, so he, uh, not talking about him again. Let's go back to the movie. So essentially what you got here is you got a, a, a cop film. This is just really a cop film, but Norris is not a cop yet. They haven't transitioned him to the cop role yet. Here he's he's uh, Chuck Norris, the kickboxer, who teaches karate on the side. He's uh, an upstanding uh, kind of uh, character. He's adopted a... A uh, young African-American man whose wife, his original girlfriend or wife, was a drug addict. So he's he hates drugs. So drugs are involved here. Uh, right. He wants to get drugs off the street. They have to kind of talk him into it a little bit. Um, but he's going to use his karate to, uh, <laughs> to train these uh, cops. And it's one of the funniest uh, montages of training. As in, And when I say funny, I don't mean funny as in cheesy ha-ha. Uh, that's cool and funny i mean funny as in it's pretty brutal uh the scenes where the cops are trying to pull guns on him and stuff and he's kind of throwing them yeah. around and stuff it's Norris showing off his his wares but i think the the problem with this movie uh in my opinion is it's a it's a straight up cop film uh and paul aaron directs it like that it's not really it's not really much of an action movie there's not really a whole lot of action here no, it's much more it's much more police uh focused. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Norris almost seems to be uh uh tangent to that, kind of like a kind of lurking in the background kind of a guy. Yeah. Uh up until obviously it's going to become, you know, personal, but So one of the interesting things about Paul Aaron 
is that Paul Aaron um, is the stepfather of uh, Keanu Reeves. Um, and Keanu Reeves uh, was really wanted to be on the set for this film. So Keanu Reeves was hanging around on set with this movie. And obviously Keanu Reeves, big karate fan, big fan of yeah, that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. And uh, he really wanted to be a part of this and stuff. And so that, that's kind of an interesting little tidbit in the background. But Paul Aaron, most of his films, I would say, you're probably not familiar with. Like, I haven't seen – I've seen Morgan Stewart's Coming Home. I have a bit of a soft spot for that one, even though it's uh, – I think he disowned it because it's an Alan Smithy film. Uh, and I think it might have been the last uh, feature film he made, uh, that after he did, he did TV movies. But he only made uh, 14 films. And A Force of One and maybe – Morgan Stewart and maybe Deadly Force are the only ones I've seen. And Deadly Force is a Wings Hauser film. Um, he's he, he doesn't really have a style. He's very much a workmanlike director. Um, nothing that I can think of. He's more of a producer than he is anything. It looks like he was the writer on The Octagon. Looks like he wrote The Octagon. So he's the one that wrote in whispering tones, Ninja. <laughs> I thought all the ninja were dead. <laughs> He did produce uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, so thank, uh, thank you. I'll thank him for that. And looks like he produced. A, looks like it's what he mostly does now. Produces now. Uh, maybe he's retired now. But anyway, uh, not nothing. No great shakes as far as directorial nature here. Really, what it comes down to with this movie is, if you want to see Chuck Norris and Bill Superfoot Wallace kind of go at it, and a really fun kind of disheveled police captain performance from Clue Gulliger. <laughs> Then this is the movie for you. Um, there's a lot of character actors in here. Uh, Ron O'Neill's in here. Yep. As uh, Rollins. There's a nice little twist with his character. Uh, Eric Lonneville's in here. I like Eric Lonneville. He's the one that plays the son of uh, Chuck Norris's character, uh, Matt Logan. And uh, he's he's he was in quite a bit of stuff when I was growing up. And uh, I can't remember what I know him the most from. I feel like he was in Warriors. Um. I don't know if he was though. Um, hmm. He was in the Omega Man. How about that? Wow, he directs now. He directs like a ton of TV. Ah, I never would have guessed that. Wow, I'm finding out stuff as I'm doing the show live on the right? air. How about that? <laughs> Looks like he was on the. Uh, I guess I might have known him from. Uh, I don't know what I would have known him from. The, what's happening? Maybe. Nah, uh, he just was only on one episode of that. I don't know what I would have known him from. Death Wish. He was in Death Wish. But he only played, eh, whatever. I don't know what I knew him from. But I knew him for something because he, he, I, I always kind of liked him as an actor. Maybe just character actor stuff. Uh, anyway, a lot of people in here. Pepe Serna's in here. James Whitmore Jr., who's done a thousand things. He plays Moskowitz, the, uh, the one that uh, really hates karate. Mm-hmm. Um, who even makes fun of the gi that he has to wear uh the movie is it's it's interesting uh it, it, it's kind of part of the early part of you know cocaine is the devil's drug yep um uh, but it is a it, it plays to norris's strengths i think but i don't know what those strengths are outside of his physicality because again he's very wooden whenever he has to deliver dialogue here and it's saying something when I think you're outacted by Bill Superfoot Wallace. Now, I love Bill Superfoot Wallace. We've talked about him on this show several times. Uh, but I don't think he's a thespian of any any sort. I think he's an interesting presence. He loves playing the bad guy. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, he's in some really cheesy movies, and he has a lot of fun in them, and I think that's great. Uh, but he's a better actor in this movie <laughs> than Chuck Norris. And the best part of this movie, in a lot of ways, is this when those two are together. And unfortunately, they're not really together together till toward the end of the film. Right. And that's when it really Yeah, kind it's of, just kind of a little dance around with these, yeah. these two guys for a lot of it. And I think that, you know, it's it's a convoluted plot setting up these drug dealers and things. And I think it it kind of goes around it a little too much in my opinion. And Yeah, it could it could have it could have uh plot-wise it could have been uh, hammered out a little bit uh, smoother, I think. Yeah. But the, the yeah. but the, I think for me just watching it this time and again I keep bringing this up but I think it's one of the funniest things in the movie the kind of repulsion and the the way they treat people with that no karate in this movie is odd. It's <laughs> it's so weird. It's almost again it's almost like it's almost like racism in a weird way. It's not racism because they don't really go right, that that right. far. But it, it's treated like that. It's like a bunch of people are like ah this newfangled yeah my kid watches all that karate junk. You know, and all this kind of stuff. And again, this is coming from well, because the it was yeah, because it was a fad, right? It I was mean, a fad at yeah. that point in time. It was very much considered faddish, uh, rather than being anything like legit as far as a sport or as far as uh, you know. I mean, it was still very much underground uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah, uh, it was almost considered like um, like wrestling, like professional wrestling. Yes, yes, which exactly. I find it really interesting because you know. Uh, one of the things that I noticed on on this viewing of this movie is the similarity, intentional or, or not, with the Luchador movies of the '60s and '70s, uh, where El Santo or somebody is called in to, to to deal with bad guys, but we get a couple of scenes of him in the ring uh, in action first. And the big difference here is that you know Norris's opponent isn't wearing a mask for him to tear off and reveal that he's actually like some hairy monster or something. Um, yeah. And I was actually kind of surprised uh, that the film went back to this well a few times. Uh, though I do kind of also suspect that this was more influenced by Rocky in, in 76 uh, than any Santa or Blue Demon pictures in actuality. But uh, I, you know, I'm also entirely discounting that the, the Luchador movies came out of uh, American influences in the first place, just really, really kind of amplified. But yeah. uh, I, I find that kind of interesting. Yeah. So I, I, I didn't really kind of put that together, but I do think it is interesting. This is kind of almost like a a luchador film in a way or an el santo film in a way there's an interesting kind of subplot to this movie that norris's character the tagline is even he hears the silence he sees the darkness um and he's the only one who can stop the killing so it's like he has this sixth sense of uh the ability to see karate killers right right, right. but it, it's such a throwaway thing uh, that they put in the movie that there's only really one moment they talk about it and then there's a moment where he makes eye contact with the karate killer which comes back to him in the final fight right. again that that's that is a bit of a spoiler but i i don't think that if i think if you're watching this film you can probably figure out who the bad guy is yeah it's pretty simple yeah so i, I don't think it's giving anything away i think that they never really kind of I mean, it's just kind of this periphery thing. And it feels to me like with the poster and the way they're trying to sell it, they're trying to sell it as this almost metaphysical, like, power he has. Right. Well, and, and but yeah, but you also got to remember that this is, uh, I think that, the, I think that 
yeah, that's a, that's very much an advertising thing because this was very much in that whole '70s mysticism sort of mm-hmm. uh, uh, era. So that was a big thing there to you know like transcendental meditation and yeah. you know the third eye and all of that shit. Which is another thing they they kind of make fun of, right? I mean, they're kind of making sure. fun of that because you know Clue Gilger's like, I don't know what all this junk right. is. So it's, so isn't it funny that they're advertising it that way while at the same time they're you know kind of poking at it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a strange movie in tone. Like, it really is. And it's it's a lot grittier than you might think it is. Yeah, yeah. So I think part of the problem with the movie for me was I think it doesn't look like anybody's really – maybe Ron O'Neill's having a good time. I'm sure Bill Superfoot Wallace is having a good time because he's in front of the camera and stuff. And, again, he would do stuff in the late 70s and to the mid-80s. And then I, I don't know what he's – I don't – I remember – I think he got sick or something. Or had a stroke or something not too long ago. I don't know if he's still around or not. Um, uh, yeah, he's still around. I remember he uh, he he had some kind of health problems for a little while, but he only did fourteen films. So this was his first one, and then he did some other fun stuff like uh, L.A. Street Fighters and uh, American Hunter is the one that I always think about because that's the one where he we covered it on the show before where he has the uh, all the wild animals for pets like that's the one with the the thing I cut out of, uh, uh, I put on a Facebook at one point of him with an eagle or a falcon or something on his shoulder or some shit. It's just an insane movie. Uh, go back and watch that if you want to see it. It's an Indonesian movie, so you guys should know what it kind of is. Looks like he did a film in uh, in 2019 called The Last Operative. So I don't know what that is. Anthony Albanese film. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who Anthony Albanese is. <laughs> no idea on that one. Uh, so anyway, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I have a hard time reviewing this film because there's really it's really just kind of a right down the middle yeah. uh Chuck Norris movie. Like it doesn't have the kind of grit and kind of edge that Lone Wolf McQuaid has. It doesn't have the uh kind of cheesiness that the Octagon has plus ninjas. Right. Right, right. It doesn't have the over the top craziness of action uh of uh not action invasion USA. But it it's it's interesting because well it's funny because it, I think it has all those things but it doesn't have all those things like yeah. it doesn't want to commit well that's it it, it is what that, what it feels like in a it's lot, a seventies movie yeah. uh, that hasn't figured out right now that it's it's going to try to go into be an eighties movie yes yeah yeah no uh, I could see that yeah and and then and and I say that because I, I was talking to Todd about it I mean and maybe I said it on the air but maybe I didn't maybe I said it before we started recording but. The the ending is very somber, kind of a seventies type of ending. Yeah, it's kind of a weird ending, uh, and it, but it has that kind of seventies tone, uh, and I can't quite figure that out either. And then you know they put Chuck Norris in a police car and have a car chase in what's supposed to be a karate movie. It's a, it's, it's it's just got some weird decisions. Yep, that are made. Uh, there's very little, honestly. There's not a whole lot of karate in this movie. There's not. There's a lot of cop work. There's a lot of, uh, you know, walking the beat and doing all the cop work and doing the, all you know, the paperwork and and the investigative stuff. Uh, there's a lot of that. But there's not a whole lot of karate in the movie. And it's kind of a weird, strange decision that they make here. I don't think they kind of knew how to make American martial art films yet, if that makes sense. Uh, no, it does. Um, and I think that, yeah, that was uh, kind of the thing is that, you know, uh, 
American cinema didn't have things like the 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 Peking Opera training, yeah, uh, to kind of uh, bolster the physicality that uh, that this type of movie really kind of relies on. So it kind of, I think they kind of just kind of took the the two things that they knew, um, or the two things that they had, and they they just kind of swished them together because they kind of uh, action at that point in time was very much in the uh, the cop film, yeah. Uh, path let's say yeah which this fall um, will leans on you know because yeah, that's, that's yeah, what and they that's why know. yeah and that's why because they didn't quite know how to how else to kind of like segue into uh the more just hardcore martial arts sort of stuff that uh, that they were pulling from uh out of asia so yeah and norse that's looks my opinion yeah norse looks great in the movie i mean he looks oh, yeah, very much yeah. like the chuck norris we know and love he's got the kind of great sideburns and the kind of great mustache he's almost a you know, a caricature in some weird way uh, <laughs> of the action star of that time. Yeah. But yeah, man, I, I, I mean, I enjoyed the movie. It made $20 million. Uh, I don't know how much it cost to make, but it made $20 million. So, I mean, obviously the audience was there for it. Mm-hmm. I just, I think I thought uh, going back and looking at it, I was going to, I think I misconceived it with other Chuck Norris films okay. and thought maybe this was heavy on the karate but honestly, it's very karate's very much a surface level thing here. Uh, it's it's there, and they're they use it for what it's worth, in kind of almost a slasher well not in a slasher way but certainly in a hitman kind of way. But the movie's very confused, and it left me quite confused to be honest with you. Um, I liked it. Uh, it was an interesting rewatch. I don't know that I would. I mean, I would definitely recommend other Chuck Norris films over this okay uh, uh not very many but certainly <laughs> other ones than this but it was a hit you know and again they're trying to make chuck norris a star here yeah and yes, uh yes. I, I think um they do they i think they do the right i think they do right by him although i think clue Gulliger is the best actor in this movie uh yeah well jennifer well yeah mostly yeah yeah i mean that's, that's how i feel but as far as acting chops go yeah yeah, he really uh, he really sells the disheveled police chief uh, pretty well, detective yeah, very well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he that guy's ageless. I mean, he he looks the same <laughs> to me. He always looks the same. Yep. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's that's about all I got. I really don't have a whole lot. I mean, I thought I had a lot more than I did, but to be honest you with you, lied to me. Yeah, okay. to be honest with you, I, I don't really know what else. I I I I don't really have much else. That's okay. Uh, no, no, I get it. I, I, I get where you're coming from 100% here. So, uh, But for a couple things. First first things first. Uh, a Force of One is a Christmas movie. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. there you go. There we go. Yeah. To add on to that, to add wood onto that fire, uh, yet another Christmas movie. Um, so in Norse movies especially, and you know, you brought this up already just like a couple of minutes ago, uh, Norse movies I feel are – very much modeled on slasher movies uh, or at the very least on horror movies. And I don't think that this is really any exception. So you get the, uh, the sweatpants ninja hiding in the uh, department store is a classic slasher thing. Uh, and it works. Um, but this is also, you know, this is the era of, you know, martial artists hands being deadly weapons, uh, like say, uh, you know, like a slasher's knife or something like that. And Norris's movies, I think tended to be darker, uh, than some other martial arts fair, and I don't think this is really any exception, um, because you know the movie is heavily involved with this whole problem of uh, of drug addiction, 
which was very much on the rise in America and at the forefront of the American uh, kind of suburban psyche. Um, and uh, every character in this movie takes the issue, you know, very, very personally, especially Norris, uh, who has the adopted son, uh, the Eric uh, Lanaville uh, character, yeah. and you know Jennifer O'Neill, who has her uh, her fifteen year old hopeless cause in the uh, the the Flophouse Girl mm-hmm. uh, that we meet in the movie. Uh, and there's you know there's a very nice, I think, sort of human connection that goes on between Norris and Lanaville uh, that works better than you might expect from a Chuck Norris vehicle. Um, and I think that that was kind of the thing that we were talking about earlier with like his presence with, uh, Norse's presence. I, he was, he was very much down to earth, I think in a lot of ways, more so than some other martial arts performers. And I think that that was kind of his appeal. Uh, I mean, obviously as he went along, he became more and more full of himself. Um, and certainly he had enough of an ego here. Um, but you could, you could always relate to him, I think a little bit easier than some of the more like superhuman characters that tended to populate these types of pictures. Uh, and, uh, you know, what we see illustrated in the, uh, the, the short scene then, uh, with Norris, uh, punch in the bag, uh, is the, you know, we get all this sort of this rage and this hopelessness that, uh, that people were feeling it. So that's, that's the connection that you get. Um, and naturally, you know, then we are going to cheer every time that, you know, Norris kicks some scumbag in the face, just like we cheer every time, uh, Charles Bronson blows one away with a gun. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is what these movies tapped into, right? They were, they were pure wish fulfillment for a lot of people who really felt helpless, uh, as well as playing on those, you know, same concerns. It's manipulating it while it's also satisfying it. Right. right. Uh, It was having your cake and eating it sort of philosophy that Hollywood had. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's there's a whole, you know, I mean, the, the genre comes back. I mean, it goes away and then it comes back again. It's back again with Liam Neeson movies, essentially. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you could argue, and you kind of mentioned this uh, uh, a little bit earlier, um, I, I think that you could argue that the film does have a certain value um, in, the, like, in the scene where, where Chuck is, uh, is doing the, the cop training because he's, he is displaying, like, real techniques. Uh, it, you know, it feels awkward. It feels kind of cringy. Uh, and it's, you know, it's light stuff certainly, but it's genuine. Uh, I mean, you know, no one's going to be a black belt after watching a force of one, but you know, I'm sure that, you know, some, <laughs> some folks were, were certainly, I think, inspired to take up the sport afterwards, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, so if not this one, then certainly, you know, once we get to the octagon and, and all of that sort of thing. Definitely. That's what it feels like. It feels like a movie for made for, it's like karate one one Yes. Yeah. It's kind of like it's kind of like a uh, uh, demo, right? Yeah. 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 Exactly like right. that. Yeah. And that and it unfortunately, it's interesting as a curiosity, but I mean it. That's that's how it plays out still in twenty twenty one. Right. And right. It, right. It's 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 and I think because of that, the movie's kind of awkward. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's dated in that in that mm-hmm, way. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly. Um, I think that the cop characters all seem to have a certain amount of distinctiveness. Like they're all just individual enough that they're not totally interchangeable, even though they kind of are. Um, so I like that, uh, that bit of it. Um, I think that the movie actually does a pretty decent job of playing you along so that when, you know, what few surprises it has come, they, they work well enough. I mean, uh, yes, you could, like we said, you could, you could very readily guess who the villains in this thing are, uh, but you you do still need uh, a, a second to take it in uh, when it's dropped on you because it's just laid out very matter of fact for you. Um, 
you know, there's no kind of buildup to, uh, to the, any of the reveals that happened in this movie. Uh, and, uh, kind of like with, uh, with way of the dragon, I think that, uh, part of the draw of the film, uh, isn't just in, you know, Chuck Norris busting up a drug ring, but in mixing it up with, uh, someone who's genuinely a match for him, um, you know, physically in, and in, in regards to, uh, you know, martial arts, uh, and when that moment does come there at the end, I think that it's, it's pretty satisfying all things being equal. Yeah, no, I, I like the climax of the movie. Oh yeah. 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 Um, now Jennifer O'Neill here, uh, was two years on from, uh, being in Lucio Fulci's the psychic. Uh, and I think that she really is kind of in a thankless role here. Mm. Um, but she also, I think brings a bit of uh humanity into the story um i don't know that i necessarily buy her as a cop uh but you know i i can't totally place my finger on why that is um maybe because she's a little bit too like nice in a certain way i don't know she doesn't like feel like a like a hard-bitten sort of cop or anything like that mm. and either way I'm, I'm you know i'm of the thinking that uh, the the that pixie haircut that she has is simply not a good look for her. Um, and the same thing with Ron O'Neill. Uh, he was better with long hair, uh, unless he was in red Dawn. Um, (laughs) but, uh, Oh, there you go. How about that for this week? Two, uh, two characters who were in red Dawn together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or two, uh, actors who were in red Dawn. Um, I think that, you know, I think that the film does manage to maintain a, a certain gutter level quality, uh, and I think that it does manage to balance the more ridiculous aspects of it, you know, um, with that. And it does it fairly admirably. I mean, uh, I think that, you know, mixing a, a, a cop melodrama, uh, about like the front lines of the drug war in, in with a, a plot involving, you know, quote unquote karate killers. Uh, I think it could very easily misfire. Um, but I mean, I don't think this ever really completely misfires. I think it's just this very, I mean, like you've been saying, and I, I agree with you. I do think it's, it's confused more than it's anything else. Mm. Uh, because I think it was kind of, it was seeing about dipping its toe in the water. It's very much, you know, uh, the showcase, uh, to, to kind of, uh, the opening salvo, let's say, um, but at the end of the day, I think that, you know, a force one is, it's a very simple film. Uh, maybe, you know, just a bit too simple. Um, but I don't think that you really need more. Uh, that's, it's moderately well paced. Um, and I think it's, a, it's, a, it winds up at the end being about as satisfying as much as anything that Norris ever did. Um, I mean, I like it enough. Is it, is it tops in his filmography? No. Uh, I think it's solid. I think that at, at the end of the day it delivers. Um, and I sort of like it also just on the, the curiosity, uh, factor, just the, as a, like a curio, this sort of weird little thing, uh, that was just kind of, um, poking at the envelope there. Uh, and I kind of admire it for that as well. And I don't know, maybe that's just, maybe that's just me. Uh, but it definitely, I mean, yeah, I, I as far as being uh, a recommend, uh, for, you know, a first timer in the, the Chuck Norris uh, school of film, uh, yeah, no, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't put this there. Uh, I might say good guys wear black. Uh, I would definitely say invasion USA. Uh, and I would probably say the octagon, um, you know, would be more, uh, first time watch Norris movies to recommend. Mm. Um, 
but that's all that I got, man. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. I, for some reason in my head, I had this one confused a bit uh, with Good Guys Wear Black, actually. Um, so, no, yeah. But what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. It's funny how many, I'm just looking through, I was looking through Chuck Norris's filmography. It's funny how many films of his I've actually seen. I've seen a huge chunk of them. I must have oh, yeah? I must have really rented a lot of Chuck Norris films. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't doubt but it that. makes sense. I mean, I was I was of the generation for that. I definitely yep. was of the generation for the Chuck Norris movies. Yep, no doubt. Um, all right, uh, make or break for me. I think the climax is the make or break for here. I think you got to do a little bit of work to get to it, mm-hmm. but I think it's worth sticking around for the end of it. Although I, it is weird that essentially the big chunk of a, a karate movie is a car chase. At the back end, uh, it, it's it's a weird decision. But again, I think they were making a cop movie first, a karate film second. I think they would eventually figure out that Norris's strength was really relied more upon him moving more than uh, him doing detective work or anything like that. Um, which is good because I think that's that is where his strength lies. And I do like you know I know we we I, I'm giving him a hard time here, but. You know, I like Invasion USA. I like Chuck Norris movies. I mean, I, I know what I'm getting into. I have a real soft spot for Lone Wolf McQuaid. So, I mean, I like these films. But, you know, this one is just, it's a lesser version of a Chuck Norris movie for me. I even like Missing in Action. I even like those films. Even though I think they're <laughs> they're really bad ripoffs of Rambo movies. Uh, in some ways. Um, oh, 100%. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no. Uh, MVT for me on this. Uh, I'm... You know, as much as I think Clue Gulliger's doing the better acting, and I don't think the directing is that interesting, I got to give it to Norris because it's he's the centerpiece of the movie, and really all the weight of the movie is kind of on his shoulders. And even though I think he's quite wooden, I do think he acquits himself pretty well and carries the movie as well as can be expected. I don't think the director did him any favors here. I don't think the Paul Aaron was the right one. This might ended up why he ended up working with his brother so much. Uh, Aaron Norris, who kind of would accentuate Chuck's uh, strengths quite a bit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, he just didn't have the right director yet. And that sometimes happens with these action guys. They got to have the right person with them to make it work real well. Indeed. Uh, I'm going to give this a 6.5 out of 10. I mean, I enjoyed nice. it. I I just think it's it's a weird movie. Yeah. And yeah. that I think going back to it, I think I thought I was watching. Maybe I thought I was going back to see Good Guys Wear Black. <laughs> or Maybe, code or yeah. code of silence or something. Maybe I was thinking of a different movie. Um, but uh, I am glad I did a revisit on it. Um, but yeah, I don't know if this would be the first one I would recommend either. I'd recommend the Octagon before I'd recommend this. Yeah, and yeah. even though the Octagon does struggle in pacing and stuff in spots. Yep. So, but it's more fun. Uh, yeah, six point five. Cool. Uh, so make a break for me. I'm gonna go. Yeah, I mean it's the big showdown. Uh, it's interesting not only in the chaos of it, but in the idea that you know, yeah, <laughs> that's the weirdness of that uh, Norris steals a cop car uh, to chase down and kill this guy, uh, <laughs> which I found kind of interesting because you know it, it sort of places him both in line with and beyond the law, uh, and that's you know kind of I found that kind of interesting because that's you know what we want to see. Plus you know it's not exactly uh, it, the the ending. I mean like we've been saying all along. It's a very seventies, um, very seventies uh, dour sort of uh, ending. It's not exactly triumphant uh, when we get there. Uh, MVT, um, 
yeah, I'm going to give it to Norris. Uh, I think that you know his presence and his physical talents are, are both really on display in this movie. Uh, you can clearly see why he rose up uh, in the action cinema world like he did. Um, I mean, this might not be the greatest showcase for his uh, his uh, particular abilities, but I think it was just enough, and I think people took enough of an interest to uh, to kind of refine that uh, in the subsequent movies that he would uh, appear in. Um, and score for me, I'm just a hair higher than you. I'm a seven out of ten, uh, so we're still in that uh, that point five uh, squeaky zone. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Uh, I, all of your criticisms, I agree with. Uh, but at the same time, I think I'm I'm giving this one a little bit more leeway. Uh, again, uh, who would think that I would be the more forgiving of the two of us uh, <laughs> on these uh, on these things? Um, but there there you have it. Yes. Yeah. I would have liked more Bill Superfoot Wallace chewing scenery and doing cocaine. Yeah, right. He does enjoy That is what we needed. He does enjoy the cocaine. As Ron O'Neill says, hey, uh, Sparky, it's time for lunch. (laughs) It's one of my favorite lines in the movie. Um, Uh, All right. That's the big show this week. Uh, We know what we're doing next week, right? Yeah, we do. Um, uh, Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. All right, go ahead. Uh, go ahead and mention what uh... <laughs> uh, I uh, Edmund Golding's Nightmare Alley, nineteen forty-seven. Yeah, with uh, Tyrone Power, Woo-hoo. who's never, I think, been on the show and is actually one of my favorite actors from the forties. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. Man. Yeah, we're I'll... definitely going to have something to talk about that. Yeah, oh, I love Tyrone Power, man. I do. I th- he had a great look and stuff. Definitely, uh, he liked that uh, that Grecian formula. He liked that mm-hmm. uh, dippity do. He fucking did. He's a great on screen smoker. <laughs> of course, it would uh, it basically killed him in his forties. Yes, it did. <laughs> he smoked himself to death. Uh, so a little Marty Feldman action. Um, but yeah, no, he's uh, yeah, he's one of my favorite. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't think he's one of the greatest actors of all time, but like, he's one of the great matinee idols of that time. Like he had a very strong look, and he's uh, one of my favorite Zoros, actually. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. why I like him. Forgot that he was Zoro. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we'll talk about all that. Uh, that'll be fun to talk about. That's actually getting remade right now, right? Uh, Guillermo del Toro's doing a remake of that. Uh, he's been dancing around it. I don't know if he's actually in production or anything on it. I think is he? he is. I think he is. I think he's close to wrapping up. Oh, good deal. Yeah. That I'm looking forward to. Yeah, it should be interesting. I mean, that's a that's a movie that could use a remake, and or not 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 in a way. Not I'm not saying anything bad about that movie yet, but anyway, let's just say this is next week will be part of the Criterion sale. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking about that because here's here, here's the truth. Here's the truth, guys. Here's the ugly truth. All right, uh, I've just recently bought some more Criterions. Um, one, I bought Nightmare Alley. Todd did too. That's why he's picking it. Uh, and two, I needed to open up my Criterion's from the last stamp sale where I bought some shit <laughs> and didn't open it. So we're going to be doing The Big Boss, uh, a Bruce Lee film from 1971 uh, from me. A little uh, way low, low way action. Low way, yep. <laughs> He's way low with that low way. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to have some fun there. But it's uh, Bruce Lee's kind of coming out party as an adult actor, uh, correct? Yes. And yeah. as an action star. And... Uh, we should uh, have some fun talking about that. It should be fun, I think. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> All right. Um, that is it. I will say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at 
ggtmc.com. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. Yeah.